0: first and foremost, you have to know what you want. If you don't have vision for yourself, you can't lead other people.
1: everybody, welcome to The Squadron, the podcast devoted to creating and optimizing and most importantly, maintaining a healthy and fulfilling life for first responders all around the world. I'm your host, Garrett Teslaw. I'm a sergeant for a sheriff's department in Southern California, and on the show, I talk to experts in a variety of fields looking for those force multipliers that I can apply to my own life. I want to make us happier and healthier, and so we can tackle our challenging careers with energy and focus. The entire purpose of this podcast is to make myself better, but then to share what I'm learning with you. Now, before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that you can get more information on this episode, including show notes and links to uh, today's guest's uh, recommendations and books and stuff like that. You can go to thesquadroom.net. You can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Squadroom. This is a really fun episode for me today. Uh, our guest today is Ryan Mickler, uh, founder, creator of Order of Man, uh, orderofman.com and the Order of Man podcast. It's one of the few podcasts that I listen to. On a regular basis, it's in my subscribed folder. Uh, it's a fantastic show. Ryan tackles a lot of big topics that are just of interest to me, but I think are of interest to a lot of a lot of men. And you can guess by the title, Order of Man, that this is a men-centric episode. But I think to our female listeners out there, you'll get something out of this too. You work in a hyper-masculine environment, and you have to navigate that. You have, uh, presumably, I, mean, I know a lot of you have men in your lives, uh, boyfriends or uh, husbands or <laughs> even supervisors. And I think that you might get some tidbits uh, out of this too to understand some of those things. And then additionally, we we use these terms masculine uh, and manliness, but I think a lot of it just applies to being a good person and a good adult and how does that, that how do we navigate that. And for the females listening today too, this concept that we talk about of protect, provide, preside, that applies uh, so much to our female listeners as well. So don't be turned off by the fact that we talk a lot about manliness and those kinds of things. Um, I think there's a lot to gain out of Ryan's, Ryan's story and Ryan's uh, insights. And it's just a good conversation, and I think you'll get something out of it. Ryan was uh, very kind with his time, and uh, we got to have a, a fun conversation, a long uh, conversation about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a man in a warrior society, what it means to be a warrior in our society. It's a long conversation of, uh, of of interesting ideas. So here we are with Ryan Mickler of Order of Man. Ryan Mickler, thanks for coming to the show, man. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be on and talk with you guys today. I'm really thrilled about this one. I've been listening to your show for quite some time. Order of Man, um, it's uh, it's one of the only uh, shows that I actually subscribe to, and which might sound weird for a podcast junkie like me, but as you know, there's so many out there nowadays. Uh, there but is. Uh, you are you're on that subscribe list. You're like top eight at least. I mean, you're up there with names of people who you've had on your show. Uh, awesome.
0: You know? I appreciate the uh, the vote of confidence, man. I really do.
1: Yeah, it's cool. So your show is Order of Man. You have a website, orderofman.com. And your motto on that website, uh, people might suggest or you know, imply from the name, it's all about uh, manliness and, and masculinity and what that means. And your motto, I want to start with that. Your motto is to, if you call it your motto, what do you, what, what you call it, but protect, provide and preside. Right. Can you walk us through what that means to you?
0: Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, at at the end of the day, I think that's our job as men, right? To be protectors first and foremost. Well, I better not say first and foremost. That's just one of the three roles I think is critical that every man adhere to and and implement in his life. Uh, There's not necessarily an order, but. Protection is certainly a component of that. And, and obviously you subscribe to that. And I imagine most of the guys listening to this subscribe to that as well. It's our job to be physically fit. It's our job to be strong mentally, physically, emotionally, uh, to be resilient so that if we're faced with a natural disaster or an emergency or an active shooter or whatever that we might face on a daily basis, that we are completely adequate and capable of Taking care of that uh, for ourselves and for those that we have a responsibility for. Uh, For me, it's my family, it's my community. For you uh, and and anybody who is is a law enforcement officer, it's definitely for the community and the and the counties and the cities and states in which they live. Uh, For military, obviously, this country. And so, first and foremost, yeah, protector. Uh, Next is a a provider. And a provider is not just financially, although financial provision is a component of that. But are you providing for your family uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually? How are you stepping up in each of those roles? And do you have the capacity to be able to provide by learning a skill set that's going to help you do just that? And then the third component of this is preside and this this one a lot of people have questions about what does it mean to be, be be a presider to preside and when i talk about presiding i'm talking about leadership i'm talking about recognizing Uh, what needs to be done. I'm talking about vision. I'm talking about being able to articulate a vision and share that with the people who have a interest in following you. And, and at the end of the day, taking people to a place they could not have imagined going on their own. And uh, between those three things, obviously we can get to an infinite number of discussions based on those three conversations, but that's the core competency of what it means to be a man.
1: You know, I I want to come back to preside too, because I have a lot of questions about that one. But but also what I want to get to right away so people have an understanding or a foundation of how we're going to discuss this in each of your shows, you ask your guests, um, what does it mean to be a man? So after all these interviews you've done, what is your definition of manliness? And can we clarify if there's a difference between manliness and masculinity?
0: Yeah, that, that's a really good distinction, and I hadn't really thought about that too much until the last couple of weeks, and, and I'll help you articulate that here in a second. But uh, at the end of the day, after the hundreds of conversations I've had with some very, very successful men, uh, it mean, what it means to be a man is somebody who's personally accountable and responsible for himself and those he has an obligation for. So again, in my case, it's my family, it's my community. Uh, any law enforcement officer, official, it's it's going to be the, the communities or the people in which they're serving, as well as their family and, and employees and subordinates and whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so if you look at uh, – I've got three boys and one girl. If you were to look at my three boys, for example, they're boys. They're children. They're not men yet, and they're not men because at the end of the day, they don't really have a whole lot of responsibility. You know, My oldest has to walk the dog around the house and maybe do some dishes here and there. But at the end of the day, not much responsibility and certainly no accountability. If they get into trouble, yeah, they might get grounded or, or, or some restrictions or something like that. But at the end of the day, if they do something wild, that's all going to fall upon me as the parent, as the father. And so it's the reason that we see 30, 35, 40 year old men still living in their parents basement, playing video games, not providing, uh, not uh, uh, producing and contributing to the world. And those, those guys aren't, aren't quite men in my book yet, because they're not providing the way that men should be providing and adding and contributing to society. Uh, it's the same reason why you might see a 14 or a 15 or a 16 year old boy who, for whatever reason, his father's out of the picture. Maybe his father's not around. Maybe his father's died. Uh, maybe the, the father's left or there's a divorce and he's had to step up and fill some of what the father is supposed to bring to the, the family dynamic whether that's leadership, financial provision, uh, guidance, direction, whatever it may be. And so you have these 14-, 15-, 16-year-old boys who act more like men than some of these 30-year-olds do. Uh, so, so at the end of the day, that's what I think it means to be a man. I can tell you what the difference is between masculinity and manliness if that's what you're looking for.
1: I think it's a good point too to, just, well, to define the two but I'll, or create that distinction.
0: Sure. Yeah. So I had uh, Brett McKay. I'm I'm sure if you listen to my show, you probably know who that is. He's the founder of Art of Manliness. Mm -hmm. And he was on my podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago as of this recording. Mm -hmm. And he made a very good distinction between the two. And I'm just going to steal what he had to say because I liked it so much. Uh, Masculinity is the raw characteristics and traits that men possess. So strength, uh, aggressiveness, um, it it might be competitiveness, it might be decisiveness, all of these things, uh, mental, emotional, physical strength, these are all masculine strengths that we as men possess to certain degrees. There's masculine energy and there's feminine energy and there's more – there's some men who are are more masculine and and typically when you think about uh, law enforcement community or you think about first responders, you, you probably think of just by default I think the men that naturally gravitate to these industries and these professions are going to have more of those masculine traits than somebody who might be an artist, for example, and not that one's more manly than the other. It's just the reality of the situation. So you have these these masculine traits. Uh, But that being said, if you look at all of the injustices that have happened in society uh, if, you, if you were to look at these things, and, and that's, this could even come down to crime rates, suicide rates, gang participation, violence, all of the stuff that we deal with on a daily basis, and specifically you and anybody else who might be listening to this, uh, that, that's raw masculinity. Mm-hmm. These are those traits that have not been in check. And and so these boys who grow up on the streets and grow up around violence and grow up in broken homes and, and are initiated into these gangs and whatever else they might be dealing with or mental uh, disorders or, or depression or whatever uh, have this masculine characteristics. But it has not been funneled. It has not been harnessed in order to produce and contribute to society. And so manliness, on the other hand, is taking this masculine energy and these masculine traits and harnessing them – Uh, Through education, through intentionality, through uh, the the application of, of good and just and right and producing and giving back more than what you're taking from society. And so what we see a lot is we see this masculine energy running around unchecked because less and less men are stepping up in their homes and stepping up in their communities to help these young boys channel that masculinity into what we would refer to as manliness.
1: You know, I see a parallel or a metaphor, maybe there, to to firearms training, and that if you're uh, carrying around an AR-15 that you're unfamiliar with, and you don't have a target that you're that you're aiming at, and you don't have the discipline of uh, a trigger finger and that sort of stuff, you're dangerous, right? Of course. And you're walking around. But if you zero in on a target and you discipline yourself and you teach yourself how to funnel the energy of that bullet of that rifle. Towards an objective that's positive, i.e., a target, then then you then you are a force force multiplier there.
0: And, well, and the other side, yes, I like where you're going with the analogy. But the one thing that we have to be very clear about is, I don't think it's 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 uh, anybody has the capacity to teach themselves everything they might learn because you don't know what you don't know. I just got done coaching my two oldest boys baseball teams, for example, and I feel like it's my moral obligation as a man to step up and teach these boys how to operate in life through the game of baseball and football and all the other sports that we play. Mm -hmm. But they can't teach themselves the sport. They have to learn that from somewhere, Mm -hmm. which is why it's so critical that fathers really be present and engaged fathers, why men need to step up into local uh, politics why we need to lead, why we need to coach, why we need to volunteer, uh, serve in the schools, be on the PTA, do everything that we can to help teach these young boys what it means to be a man.
1: So I think you bring up an interesting point then about the idea that of coaching, because there's a big thing of the theme of the show is that everybody needs a coach. You know, you need Mm -hmm. somebody in your corner. You call them a mentor. You can call them a coach, but even as grownups, right. As adult males, I'm turning 40 this year and I'm searching for, I'm constantly searching for mentors, people who can help me level up that sort of stuff. And, uh, so I, I agree, we need, we need to coach, we need to coach the younger people, but we also need to be open to uh, receiving information, even as an adult, right, to, to continue our own development. And in law enforcement, it's, you know, the, like you say, it's largely male, and it's steeped in those ideas of manliness and masculine archetypes, you know, you got the warrior, the sheepdog, the guardian, the operator, those are so, like you say, masculine archetypes. And with all that kind of baggage or that ethos, that gets built into us. I mean, how do you suggest people from those situations ask for, ask for help and seek humility and and practice patience and mostly practice compassion with themselves to go ask for help?
0: Yeah, this is really hard. This is really difficult, specifically for men and those men who are required to know a lot, to be decisive, to show aggression, to uh, in a way specifically in your industry to channel and maybe even hide some of that emotion or vulnerability because that puts your life on the line. If I were to be vulnerable, the odds of me running across a situation where I have to fight for my life is significantly lower than a law enforcement officer who is dealing with a uh, domestic disturbance uh, call or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So you as a law enforcement official officer are required to be strong, and to show strength and be very, very careful of showing any type of weakness and vulnerability because that exposes you to a potential situation or somebody you might be trying to protect. Uh, but at the end of the day, what I think a lot of people need to realize and men specifically is that this puffed up, inflated uh, pride and arrogance and ego is only going to get you into trouble in the long run and in maybe even more so civilian life, uh, whether it's a relationship or maybe it's your fitness, your bank account, whatever it may be. If you can't find a way to connect with other people who are going to help you realize what your blind spots are, it's the same reason you you have a partner. It's the same reason in the military. They have battle buddies. It's the same reason in our mastermind groups. We operate in battle teams with battle brothers. These are men who are supposed to have your six they are supposed to to watch you. They're supposed to keep you in check. They're supposed to keep that ego in check. And they're supposed to tell you what you can't see on your own. So I think for you specifically in your, in your profession, uh, I think it's probably very good for you to find somebody who also is in law enforcement because they recognize, uh, when to be vulnerable and when it's probably not a good decision for you to be vulnerable. I would not be having the same type of conversation if I was talking about any other civilian, uh, just because of the nature of your work
1: it's so that is so hard it's such a challenge and and being able to to take that vest off at the end of the day it, figuratively and literally you know and and transition to to that role of of being open right you know sure. to, to those things it, it's one of the thing, hardest things we do, and I think as a result a lot of men suffer uh I was on a phone call uh with another guest uh former seal uh retired seal uh right before we started about you know a future episode, and we were talking about how a lot of guys are just suffering as a result and i know this because i get these emails from people and i and i get the texts and the messages of, from guys who are really suffering through you know poor health or a failing marriage you know a bitter divorce divorce rates are you know sky high for us and high stress as you mentioned and all the things that come with it weight gain ptsd et cetera. and i think your story and one of the real reasons i wanted to have you on was because you have your own story of hitting your own rock bottom and struggling through that and i wanted i was hoping you could tell that story So this audience understands that, you know, you as a, as a veteran and, and, and you as a man, you have your own story of this. This isn't just coming to you, uh, you know, (laughs) sitting, sitting at your desk and realizing this, you had to go through something. Can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I went through a lot. Like if we were to go through all the things that I went through, it started when I was three years old. My dad left. He was out of the picture and and my mom and, and him went through a divorce and I didn't really have a good father figure growing up. Yeah. I had a couple of stepfathers come into my life who were not great examples. One was an alcoholic. He wasn't ever abusive, but just wasn't present as a father. Uh, the other one was verbally and emotionally abusive. And so I looked around and I saw these men in my life. and And, and quite honestly, I just didn't have that role model growing up. And for a lot of years, I floundered. I floundered in high school. I floundered in my, during my college years. I even floundered to some degree while I was in the military. And uh, fortunately, I had some great coaches in my life growing up. I had some great uh, officers and section chiefs within the army who really helped develop me as a man and helped me to be a better man. Uh, and so I learned a lot from those guys. But it all came to a head as I went through a separation after four years. Yeah, four years with my wife. Uh, we got into an argument one evening, and I, I can't—I I don't really remember what that argument was about. But I remember looking her in the eye and telling her that I didn't even want to be married anymore, and she agreed with me. And the next morning, she left. And you know, for a long time, I blamed her. Like, how could she do this to me? Why was she disloyal? Why was it? Why didn't she appreciate what I was doing? All of the things and worse that we as men tell ourselves. But somewhere along the way, and I—and I remember. Man, I remember the street I was on. I remember the cross street where it hit me like a ton of bricks that this relationship with my wife might be over. And as much as I didn't want that to be the case, that was the cold, hard truth. And I came to the conclusion that day that I was just going to go to work for me, like not to be selfish necessarily, but just to fix myself and i had the the resolve that if i was going to save the marriage it was going to be upon who i could become as a man and i started to accept responsibility For the shortcomings and the inadequacies that I brought to the relationship. Uh, And I realized that if this relationship is over, then I'm going to do this for me and I'm going to be the best catch for the next woman to come into my life. And what was really fascinating about this and as much as uh, grief as I get about this and and the fact that, oh, you're just being submissive to your wife and yada, 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 I hear all this kind of stuff. No, I'm the strongest person in the room because I took ownership of the one thing that I can control, which was my thoughts, my actions, my behaviors. And when I did that, it was like flipping a switch on the wall. She responded to who I was becoming or who I had reverted back to, the man that she initially married. So I've set out on this journey, man. and And I've been on this journey for nine years now of trying to figure out how to be the best me so that I can show up fully for the people who are counting on me.
1: What was it? You kind of mentioned it. What was it? The, did you just lose your way in some way? Were you always that guy? Or did you have to make a, like a, like a, a 180 to, uh, about face to, to become this, this new guy?
0: I mean, I think always deep down inside, we, we all know what to do, right? Like there's no new information I can share with you. Uh, if, when it comes to getting in shape at the end of the day, everybody knows they just need to eat a little better and move a little bit more. Uh, when it comes to building wealth, it's about making more than you spend. When it comes to the relationship, it's giving more than you take. Like these are not new concepts. Uh, but yeah, I had lost my way. I had get, gotten so involved with working and, and and consumed with the grind and the minutia and, and I lost track of my priorities and I started to take out my inadequacies within the business and my lack of being able to grow my financial planning practice at the time. I took that out on her. And when we had disagreements and we had things that we argued about, I didn't know how to have an adult conversation with her because I had never learned that. And I can say that that's my father's responsibility for not being around or this person's responsibility for not sharing with me or the military's responsibility for not training me how to communicate when we got back from Iraq. I mean I could could blame anybody and everyone but at the end of the day, it was, it was my fault, man. Like it, it truly was. And a lot of people will hear that and say, well, but you know, it takes two to tango and she probably had, and you know what? Yeah, there's truth to that. She had some things to work on as well, but I can't control her. I can't control what she does or doesn't do or how she thinks or what she behaves. She, she's got to do that on her own. And so why not just focus on me? And so as I begin to develop and and mature in a way and grow some patience and learn how to communicate and learn how to be assertive in the feelings and the things that I was feeling in my life and be able to communicate those with her. I got my health in check. I got my finances back in order, like all of this stuff I just started taking care of. And, uh, there was just something that changes in your soul and people recognize when that happens and they want to be part of you. Uh, when it comes to relationships, specifically a romantic relationship, I think the best thing that you can do for your – and I'm just talking with men because that's what I do every day and this probably applies to women as well – is be in a position where you want your spouse in your life but you don't necessarily need that person in your life. And I know that sounds really, really weird almost and kind of counterintuitive. But if you're so needy and so involved in the center of your universe is your significant other, uh, I think you're doing yourself and you're doing them an injustice because you can't bring your own energy to the relationship. And you're asking that person to be the man, to be the woman, to bring the masculine energy, to bring the feminine energy. And uh, she or he is, is going to get burnt out at some point.
1: Yeah, you're just describing codependency, really. I mean, that that never works out well, right? Exactly. So so what are some of the steps you you took? So, you know, you're you're looking at, like, you just touched on what my current mantra is right now, which is control what you can control, Mm. you know, and put aside the things that that you have no effect on or you can't affect on. So what are some of the things that you looked at and said, okay, you know, this is how I'm going to do it. I mean, nothing can happen overnight and nothing, uh, you know, but you have to make that first step. What were some of the things that you implemented towards these goals and do you have a a routine or a morning practice now as a result or what do you do to stick to it yeah so
0: what I started to do was to find other people to go back to your coaching point that you made earlier. Is to find other people who are having success in their life in the elements I knew I needed to have success in. So for me, it was my business. So I looked around in the office and I recognized that there was two producers who were always and constantly producing, and so I reached out to them. Hey, can I have lunch with you? Can you show me what you're doing? Can you share me ha- with me how you're building this business? And they were more than happy to do that. Uh, I started to get my my health back in check. I went to a gym. Uh, I started started working out. I started researching that stuff. I started listening to podcasts and blogs and CDs. I think it was more CDs at that point than podcasts uh, and, and reading books, a great book, As a Man Thinketh. I love that book. That's one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, and, I, and I started to learn how to communicate more effectively. The assertiveness workbook is a great little workbook to help somebody be more of an assertive communicator, which would be great in your line of work. And, uh, and these are the changes that I started making. And through this, I developed a daily plan that I personally use that I go through every morning. To your point, what does my routine look like? I use, are you familiar with Hal Elrod?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So I use Hal Elrod's miracle morning. And I go through every morning and I do those things. I meditate, I visualize, I journal, I exercise. I do all of the things that Hal says. And that book is no joke, man. It's really simple. But when you implement these steps from the miracle morning, you literally can change your life. And I think the one thing that's lacking from a lot of men's lives and women too is the inability to plan out their day. You know, you might have a calendar, you might know when your shift starts, or you might know what assignments you're going to be tasked with, or what paperwork needs to be turned in, you might have an idea of that. But how much are you actually planning? Like, are you visualizing what the future looks like? Are you trying to improve your station? Uh, And if you don't have some sort of planning that you do every single morning, I think you're really missing the boat on that.
1: Yeah, you just bring up two points. It's funny, because uh, I'm actually reading Miracle Morning right now. Oh, you are cool. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. After hearing about it so much and thinking like I've, I've been struggling with trying to find a morning practice and I have, I have hit on the journaling thing that that is consistent. And I can't agree more that if even on a day where I work, you know, I mean, I work a 12 hour shift. I have no idea what's going to happen during the day. I'm on patrol. So I don't plan my day. Everybody, it's all reactive. Right. But even if I can plan the before and the after, and I have my checklist of stuff that I, you know, I give myself the three things I need to accomplish, um, and it's it makes my life so much easier to know at the beginning of my day. Okay, this is this is what I have to hit on today, and I don't have to focus on tomorrow or the day after necessarily. It's one foot in front of the other kind of concept. But that journaling is so crucial to people. Uh, or to me anyway, and, and the meditating. I'm working on it. I've been working on it since the start of this show. <laughs> yeah, but it's but it's tough. What what's your medita Because I get a lot of questions about meditation. What is your what's your practice? Do you do transcendental meditation or just box breathing or uh, how does that look? And and how do you set up? Do you have a setup? Do you use an app? What do you do?
0: Yeah. So when you're starting, what I would suggest is just being quiet and and literally just being quiet, like not thinking about this, not using this app, not using this program, not trying to hack this system or game this situation. Just be quiet, like find a quiet place in your house. Maybe that's your basement. Maybe you've got an office. Maybe it's sitting out in your garage or even your car and just be quiet. And be present with yourself and be present with who you are. Mark Devine's box breathing, which you refer to, is, a, is an amazing tool, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you start to get maybe even some of that road rage or work gets a little stressful or whatever it may be. Uh, just it's uh, The box breathing method, just for anybody who might not know, and maybe you've touched on this before, is a four-second breathing in, a four-second hold at the top. A four-second exhale and a four-second hold at the bottom, and that's a that's the essentially what what box breathing is. Uh, right now, I use a program called uh, Muse, and that's a it's literally it's it's really interesting. It's a headband. It's kind of geeky, but it's a headband that you put around your head. It wraps around your ears, and you plug it into an app. And it can sense the activity in your brain. And so your goal is to keep things as calm and quiet as possible. And it just helps you get present with where you are as opposed to random thoughts all over the place. That's the program I use right now. And it's actually working really, really well.
1: Interesting. I've heard of that before. The second person, I think, tell me about it. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cool little program. So um, you mentioned the preside uh, earlier, and you know I see a lot of parallels in law, between law enforcement and manliness the day, these days, and it seems that both uh, are under attack, you know, uh, from external sources. And maybe attack is being dramatic, but there's a lot of. Uh, I, I think a lot of guys come to you, and they and and a big point of your show or a big theme of your show is, what does that mean these days in these newer times, and with newer roles and newer expectations, and a changing idea of of what maybe masculinity is, you mentioned that preside is really leadership, but how do we, how do men lead uh, today? You know, both as law enforcement officers where we're kind of naturally given the leadership role, but, but how do you get someone to step into that?
0: Well, so again, first and foremost, you have to know what you want. If you don't have vision for yourself, you can't lead other people because leadership is about taking people to a place that number one, they could not have imagined going on their own. And number two, they couldn't have done it on their own. So you have to be able to know what that place actually looks like. If you have, uh, if you're, and, and I don't know the term, so I apologize if I butcher this because I'm just, I'm just not in your line of work. But if your, if your chief, for example, uh, doesn't have any vision for what he wants the department to look like, well, why and how can he expect anybody to step up into something he hasn't been able to articulate? Right. Mm -hmm. So I think first and foremost is vision. What do you want? What are you trying to accomplish? And I come at this from four angles. So the four angles that I use is number one, my condition. And when I talk about condition, I'm talking about physical health. So what does your physical health look like? What does your strength look like? What does your conditioning look like? What does your sleep look like? What does your nutrition look like? So what do you want over the next 90 days when it comes to condition? Uh, number two is calibration. And these aren't in order, but but number two is calibration. Calibration is yourself. It's about getting right with your mind. It's about getting right with your soul. It's about being in integrity. It's about doing the things that you know you should be doing and living that life of integrity and, and having a sense of calmness and peace and satisfaction and fulfillment because you're doing those things. Meditation certainly falls under calibration. The third component is your connections. And when I'm talking about connections, I'm talking about uh, romantic connections. I'm talking about connections with your kids. I'm talking about connections with your, your colleagues. I'm talking about connections with people in your community and, and your ab- ability to develop uh, meaningful and significant relationships in your life. And then number four is contribution. And when I'm talking about contribution, I'm talking about giving back, providing, giving, producing. Uh, sometimes you're going to be monetarily compensated like you would in a work environment. And other times you're just going to be serving on a board or serving in the community or coaching. And you're, uh, you're just contributing because that's what's required of men. So those are the four key areas that I personally come at it from. And I'm trying to figure out what do I want in each one of those areas when it comes to presiding. The second component of this is now that you know what you want, you have to be able to articulate it. You have to be able to communicate it and you have to be able to do it in a way that gets people on your side because it's their idea not yours. And so in the law enforcement community, I imagine the communication style, generally speaking, is very aggressive. It might even be uh, dominant uh, because that's how you spend most of your waking hours is is giving commands and orders and, and you're dealing with a different type of person than you would be at home, for example. And so that might work in one situation because you are leading a suspect to do what you need them to do to keep you and others safe. But the way that you communicate with your wife, she's not going to respond to that. (laughs) And then if if you want to lead... Well, then you need to change the tone and be more assertive and maybe even more empathetic with your wife. And a leader can do that because he recognizes when he needs to be aggressive, when he needs to be assertive, when he needs to be passive, and he can shift, not change himself, but shift how he's communicating so he can get other people to do and influence uh, them positively to get them to a place, again, they couldn't imagine going on their own.
1: You know, I I had to chuckle during that because you're absolutely right, because I don't know how many times uh, over the... 12 years I've been working where my wife is we're having a conversation or maybe an argument or I'm trying to drive home a point and and I get a retort of don't talk to me like one of your suspects
0: exactly Uh, exactly
1: I've never been in that situation but I can certainly see how it would be very easy for somebody in your position to fall into that mode it's just it's just natural you know when you do 12 hours, like I said, 12-hour shift, if I'm doing 50% of my waking hours, more than 50% of my waking hours, and I'm in that mode, transitioning to the softer, gentler uh, guy for the five, six hours that we are together is is this challenge, right? Right, Right. absolutely. So what is the difference between assertive and aggressive? I think I'm curious about that.
0: Well, so I think aggressive is is the dominant personality. It's the overbearing. It's the barking orders. It's the do what I say because I said to do it, and it's not really taking into consideration is this going to work? A right? Is this even going to work? I don't care because I'm forcing the issue. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm having a different conversation with you than I would a, an entrepreneur podcast that I might be part of, because if it's an entrepreneur podcast, I would probably say that 99% of the time aggression is just not going to be the best way to, to go about things. But in your situation, I think an aggressive communication style is, is probably much needed, especially when you're trying to keep yourself and others safe. So, so that's what the aggression looks like. Assertive is knowing what you want to get done and then communicating it and articulating it in the best way possible in order for that to get done. But it also takes into consideration your own Uh, objectives and, and what you're feeling and what you're thinking. And it takes into consideration what the other person might be experiencing or thinking, which actually would probably serve you very well when you're dealing with a suspect as well, because even though you might have to do this differently. And so let me back up. Assertiveness can mold and shift because you can be more dominant, you can bark out orders or make commands and still be an assertive person if that's what the situation calls for. Does that make sense? Sure, yeah. And so an assertive communicator takes into consideration what am I trying to accomplish and what is the best way for me to communicate in order to make this happen the most effectively.
1: I, I like that. And I like the distinction on assertiveness because you think assertive is. I, I tend to think of assertive as selfish, but not in this context. And well, it might
0: be. I mean, there might be, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like there, it might be selfish for you to want to subdue a suspect because you don't want to get injured or put anybody else at injury. Sure, that that's that could be considered selfish, but it's also the right move at the time. There's nothing wrong with being selfish. I think the world has has made this a bad a bad word. But mm-hmm. when selfishness comes at the expense of other people, that's where it becomes a problem. And that's not necessarily selfishness. That's maybe something entirely different altogether.
1: Well, that's a fair point. I think uh yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. You can be selfish and I think it's important sometimes to it is important to be selfish. I tell my wife sometimes, you know, go it's okay to go to the gym. The kids the kids can do without you for an hour. I can, you know, I can handle it. You need to go take care of yourself and spend some me time uh, doing those sorts of things. And she feels like she's being selfish going to the gym, and uh, you know, I, or I feel like that sometimes as well. But we got to take care of ourselves before we can take care of anyone else. I, I'm sure you agree with that.
0: Right. And, and if you don't go into the gym, how do you respond and how do you show up in your work and how do you show up in your relationship? So the best move at the time, like, for example, I know that if I don't go to the gym in the morning and quite honestly, I mean, to be frank with you, I didn't go to the gym this morning and I can feel it, man. I was sluggish this morning. I didn't want to get started and it took me a long time to get going. And so I recognize, excuse me, I recognize, uh, when, when I'm I'm not doing what I know I should be doing and I'm not nearly as effective in my business. I'm not nearly as assertive in my communication responsibilities with my my family. And so, yeah, for me to take an hour to be selfish so that I can come back with a full cup and be able to give and provide and pour into other people is critical.
1: Is that, a, is that something you had to convince your family about or do, are they on board with that or have they always been on board with that?
0: Well, with my wife, she had to convince me. And what I mean by that is she recognizes as a man when I am – needing something. And that something might just be physical activity. Right. Mm-hmm. And so she'll recognize that my, my buddies will be playing basketball and she'd be like, just go play, like get out of here. I don't even want you here right now. Just go play, get some time in and, and then come back to the family. I, I'm fortunate because I know not every wife might be quite as supportive as that. Uh, And if that's the case, then you're going to have to be assertive in your communication and saying, look, hon, I I appreciate that you want to be together tonight and I want to be with you. But if we're going to be together tonight or tomorrow or even this weekend for our date that we've got planned, I need to figure out a way to provide some energy to the relationship. I hope you can understand that. Can we talk about what this might look like? Because maybe working out in the afternoon or after your shift is over doesn't work for her. And you signed on the dotted line and you said we're in this together when you said I do. So if that's the case, then you might need to adjust your plan and say, hey, look, afternoon workouts don't work. Morning workouts, however, however, work well with a family dynamic, and you guys agree upon that together. Uh, with my kids, quite honestly, they don't get to decide. They, it's, it's my life. I, I'm the parent. I've got to do what's in the best interest of them and what's in the best interest of my family and me, and so they don't get a vote when it comes to when dad's going to work out and the boundaries that I set. I've just got to do what's right by my family and make those decisions and be an honorable father.
1: And kind of flipping that a little bit, I think you'll understand this from your time in the military and your time in the army. Is you know, t- law enforcement is very much uh, it's a it's a two parent job, and I tell my my listeners this pr- pretty frequently that you know you're you're, you're for those of the, for the listeners that are men, but also it applies for the listeners here that are females and they're, they're, they have a male spouse or whatever. You know, if you've got especially if you got kids, this is a two parent career. You know, mm-hmm. I, when I'm gone, when I'm on night shift three or four days a week, my wife is a single parent and right. she's got no choice in that. She can't just, you know, <laughs> pretend like she doesn't have kids for four days a week. She's in it <laughs> sure. because of my career. And, and there's a parallel there to the military, right? You're on deployment. Your your wife is a single mother for however long that you're gone. What um, What do you do in that protect, provide, preside to give that energy to the, to your spouse?
0: Well, hopefully you've stored up enough, uh, enough energy that she can last that amount of time. Right. I mean, that's, that's cause like, think about this as a bank account. And, and the more that you deposit into this relationship bank account, the more that you can withdraw. But if you go in and you say, "Hun, i I'm going to be gone for the next four days, and then you come back for two or three days or however long that break is, but you don't give her anything, you don't make any deposits in the account, how long is that going to last before you're hitting the zero and you're in the red? It's not going to take very long at all. Mm-hmm. So you guys need to be on the same page and understand, and she needs to understand as well, hey, I'm going to work for four days, but when I'm home, like what does your schedule look like? Do you take, how, how, how many days do you get off? One, four, two? What does that look like?
1: For me, everybody's different, but for me, it's three days on, then four days off. So it rotates. Yeah. sometimes I get three days, sometimes I have four days, and that's not counting over time or whatever. So
0: Sure, sure. So when you're off, you better be on. At home. Yeah. Because if you're not at home – on at home and you're still on at work, when you're off of work, that's going to create a problem really, really fast. Outside of that, I think it's just constant communication and helping to the best that you can. Uh, I remember when I was in Iraq in 2005, 2006, uh, my wife and I communicated. We didn't have kids at the time, fortunately. Uh, but we communicated and I was, I was helping as best that I could. And I was providing the relationship as best I could. I didn't want to weigh her down with the things that were going on and what I was dealing with. And so I dealt with that thing, w- some of those things with, with the guys, not with her, because I wanted to deposit in the relationship when we were having those conversations. So you do what you can and you make it work and you communicate and you keep the lines of communication open and you contribute to what, whatever degree that you can, although you can't always give everything that you'd like.
1: Yeah. And I think you just hit on the exact major reason for, for the high rate of divorce in law enforcement. And it's a proven, it's a proven psychological fact. Uh, uh, Psychologist, Dr. Kevin Gilmartin, I don't know if you know who he is, but um, he's documented this idea of uh, hypervigilance and how being on for those four days, you know, even when you're asleep and you're uh, off duty during your, during your week of work, you maintain a high, I call it a battle rhythm, but um, a high tempo. Uh, a high uh, alertness and a high threat level, right? And coming out of your work week, you maintain that. And you ne- even if you slowly taper out of it, it takes seven to 10 days to get out of that. But by then you're already back at work. So we never lose this hypervigilance uh, roller coaster that we're on. And as a result, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a, a brain thing where you come home and you want to crash. You want to sit on the couch. You want to play video games. You don't want to do anything. You don't want to work out. You don't want to play with the kids. And I've heard this from hundreds of cops. That they just w- want to veg. They don't want to make any decisions, right? They're done making decisions. And that becomes a challenge in a relationship where you come home and you hit the door and you want to just sit on the couch in the dark and not be asked any questions or play with the kids because that's what your brain is telling you to do. And you've got to fight that. Uh, you gotta well, fight and I don't know
0: that. if you necessarily need to fight it or you need to communicate it right like i think most women would probably understand that if her husband comes home from this line of duty and this this work that you guys are hyper vigilant like you said involved with i think it's just having constant communication with her and saying look hun when i come home i literally need like 2 hours to just unwind and here's what i'm going to do in that time frame and that way when 2 hours is up I come back to the family and I am here and I am present and I am available or whatever. Do whatever the dynamic works for you. Don't shut her out just because you feel like you need a break. I get that you do. You just need to communicate what that break looks like so she's at least knows what to expect. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think – yeah, I, I mean I, what I mean by fight it is you need to acknowledge it. You need to acknowledge that this is sure. where your body is physiologically going and by acknowledging it, you can maybe move through it a little easier. And of course, yeah, communication with with him. I mean, I came home from my my yesterday was my Friday, right? It was a long day. I would had two critical incidents during the day, uh, including a bank robbery. And you know, oh, I'm the sergeant, so I'm in charge. I'm I'm running the show, and because uh, we don't have a lieutenant running around as a watch commander, uh, so I'm I'm it. I'm the shift commander. Anyway, we, we go to a school fundraiser for my daughter's school and I'm sitting there at the pizza place, like dozing off <laughs> oh, just, yeah. My, yeah, my brain yeah. is done. Like my, I'm done making decisions. I'm done, uh, getting asked questions. I'm, you know, um, so it's just one of those things that we, we constantly have to deal with. Um, but I, I have found that going back to the morning practice, going back to that meditation, being able to breathe, pause, create some space and time has been a huge, uh, benefit to me in getting through that and, you know, and managing that.
0: Uh, I can't, I can't, I can't even at this point pretend to tell you I know what that's like. I I wish I did. I wish I could put myself in your shoes for a minute to understand what that would be like, but I can certainly see how that'd be a difficult thing to do.
1: Well, you're welcome to come on a ride along anytime you're uh, in Southern California. (laughs) I would be
0: actually really interested in that. I think that'd be uh, an eye-opening
1: experience for me. Uh, It usually is. Um, it, It usually is. So, one of the things you talk about, you know, you're you're an avid reader, and you mentioned a couple books. But uh, I'm, a, I'm I'm a big reader myself. A lot of our listeners are. You mentioned one book, "As a Man Thinketh," but what are some other books? Well, and you mentioned Hal Elrod, but what are some of the big influential books uh, in your life?
0: Uh, yeah. So yeah, "As a Man Thinketh." Uh, another great book is um, now I just lost my train of thought. Oh, uh, "Extreme Ownership" by Jocko mm-hmm. Willink and Leif Babin. Have you read that book? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Such a great book. And fortunately I've had the honor of, of talking with both of them. They were in Ramadi, Iraq. Uh, we had some crossover. I was, I was there for about two or three months as they were coming in. So we had some crossover and some, some of those experiences really hit home for me because we were in the same place doing the same thing. Uh, no, I want to back up. We weren't doing the same thing. That's, that's not fair to say. Uh, they, they had definitely had it rougher than I did. Um, so that's a great book. Another one by Eric Greitens, who's also a Navy SEAL, yes, uh, is Resilience. Uh-huh.
1: And have you read that one? I've read that one and his first book, The Heart and the Fist. Yes.
0: Yeah, good. Yeah. So those are that's that resilience book is probably a really, really good book for somebody to read who might be dealing with a very difficult um, situation with their line of work Mm -hmm. and then transferring that back into civilian life. Uh, I know that can be a difficult thing. Uh, So that's that's a good book. So, you know, there's three or four right there that I would suggest that somebody start with. Yeah. Uh, Another good one, maybe just because we've had these conversations about about spouses, for example is, uh, the five love languages. Have you read that one? No. uh -uh. That's a really, really good book. Gary Chapman, I believe is the, the name of the author. And as my wife and I went through our separation, it was really difficult. We went, we ended up going through some therapy and, and the therapist said to me, she said, what do you do to express your love for your wife? And my wife was in the room and I said, well, I go to work every day. I provide for the family. I tell her I love her all the time. And what was really fascinating is my wife was like, I don't, I don't get that. Like that doesn't mean love. And I'm like, what, what are you, what are you talking about? And the therapist said, well, what do you do to my wife to express your love to your husband? And she said, well, I keep the house clean. I I raise our son and I'm like, well, that's kind of like the job. Like that doesn't really mean you love me. And so what's really (laughs) interesting is we all speak a different language when it comes to how we receive love. And, and there's five of them, and I, and I probably won't be able to articulate all of them, but one is words of affirmation, one is physical touch, another one is gifts, uh, another – I can't remember. Those are the three that I know of right offhand. And my wife and I speak different love languages. So when I was articulating love by saying, I love you, guess whose love language that was? That's mine. My love language is words of affirmation, and hers is gifts and physical attention. My least favorite love language is physical affection which sounds really funny. But when you start learning what your uh, spouse's love language is, you can communicate in a way that she actually is going to receive it and vice versa.
1: Interesting. Yeah, it's I'll it's a
0: fascinating. Out. Yeah, it's a fascinating. I'd recommend that book all the time, especially for anybody who might be having relationship issues.
1: Yeah, that, those books are all uh, I mean, resilience. Actually, I'm looking at my copy of it right now, which is dog eared and noted and all that. Uh-huh. It's a it's a fantastic book. And the Heart and the Fist is the book that changed, even though it's about his journey from humanitarian to Navy SEAL, that book changed my perception or my perspective of law enforcement's role in the U.S. Um, yeah. How, you know, for people who haven't read it, he, he he was a U.S. Navy SEAL who was a humanitarian. He was a Rhodes Scholar. He went to Duke and then he went to Oxford. And then he uh, was offered a, a job as a professor at Oxford, and he turned it down to go uh, try and become a Navy SEAL, which he accomplished. Um, he's now the governor of Missouri. Also. Yep, yep. Interesting um, man, for sure. Super interesting man. I, I, I tried to have him on the show about a year ago, and they said, we, we love the idea of the show, but just not right now. We're, we're running for governor. I, said, oh, yeah. okay, I did well. the same thing, and I got the same response. <laughs> so I think they just had the same response going around. <laughs> I said, fair enough. I can understand. That's the best excuse <laughs> yeah. I've heard yet. So, um, but, you know, it's this idea of the heart and the fist. You need both. And you need to, and I think that speaks to manliness as well. You need to both. You can't just have the fist of masculinity. You need the heart, uh, as you know, to go with it. Fantastic. Well, I book.
0: think this goes back to that distinction between masculinity and manliness, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and extreme ownership, we talk about that all the time. Um, fantastic book. I've I have adopted that as an ethos uh, in my work as a as a supervisor and as a leader. And uh, it's a game. That is a game changer. That book is a game yeah. changer for people.
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: So you know, going back to some of this idea, you know, a big conversation right now happening in in law enforcement, and then I think in the uh, in the areas around law enforcement um, or first responders, um, especially with younger people, is this idea of the warrior archetype, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of stuff in the media right now about how cops are too militarized and the warrior uh, the warrior mindset. And there's, I mean, anyone who wants to sell anything to a cop either calls it Warrior whatever or sheepdog whatever right and right right <laughs> are you are you familiar with uh, Lieutenant colonel Grossman and the sheepdog I mean, sure
0: Grossman's been on my podcast as right. well
1: as Tim kennedy who's adopted his mantra as well totally right and tim tim and, and Lieutenant colonel have both been on this show as well, so we we have i i don't uh uh negate it as an idea at all um, but it's you know it gets a lot of attention it gets a lot of uh there's a lot of conflict in those terms and there's a lot built up into it and to me um you know, cops have to be, uh, we have to have this warrior, we don't have to have this warrior type, but that's what we tend to gravitate towards. But is the warrior archetype, is there still a place for that uh, today in 2017?
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you're, you're a prime example of that, right? I mean, there's always going to be evil in the world, there's always going to be wrong, and there's always going to be injustice. And unless we have those warriors to take care of that, uh, the world's going to become an even more dangerous place than it is right now. Do I think you, there's a, a need for that. I, I really do. Um, there's another good book. It's, well, let, it sounds like you were going to say something, so I'll let you well, say that, and then I'll give you another book recommendation.
1: Well, I guess my, maybe I'm not making, I'm not thinking my thought all the way out. But you know, a lot of people say we shouldn't be warriors; we should be guardians. And I don't know if there's even a distinction really right there. And are you familiar with The Warrior Ethos by Stephen Pressfield?
0: Uh, I have not read that, although I've read a couple of his other books.
1: Very, yeah, um, easy read, but it's all it's it's a lot of stories about you know just what it meant to be a warrior and in that sense I think the warrior ethos or the warrior archetype is absolutely appropriate but um, it seems to me that a lot of the warrior stuff that word gets when it gets thrown around it gets tied up with the idea of again masculinity not manliness and if we can if we can move the idea of the warrior to that idea that we talked about of what a man is not what masculinity is I think that's where we achieve our success in law enforcement as and as men who are looking to protect
0: well, so here's, here's my thought on the thing is all of us are salesmen to some degree, right? We're all selling something, whether we're selling ourselves to the department, we're selling ourselves to even a suspect who we want to comply with our orders, to our spouses, to our children. We're all selling something. The problem though with sales, and there's nothing wrong inherently with, with being a salesman, but the problem is we also have this other component, which is marketing. And because there's this component of marketing, when marketers get a hold of a word, they end up completely dismantling and changing the, the meaning of a word. So at the end of the day, here's, here's what I'm getting at. Call it whatever you want, but we, whether it's guardian, sentinel, warrior, w- whatever, soldier, call it whatever you want. I think it's important that men, that we do have protectors, that we do have these guardians, that we do have these, these men who are willing to take the masculinity and in a way really latch to and live a life as a warrior, because that's what's required of him. Uh, there's a great book by Robert Moore. Since we're talking about books so much, is called King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. Have you read that one? No. Okay, read that book. That is a very, very good book. And he's talking about the archetypes of masculinity: king, which is basically the 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 ruler, the leader; warrior, which is what we're talking about here; uh, a magician, and then lover. And I think you're going to be really, really fascinated with his description because there's always positives and and negatives to both traits, and and I can't remember exactly, but he talks about the adolescent version of a warrior, and I can't remember what he calls, and then he talks about the mature version of a warrior, which is what now you're referring to when you're talking about guardian. And each of the archetypes have an adolescent version and a mature version. And that's, I think the distinction we're making here.
1: Interesting. Well, I got a whole new reading list to add yeah. to my Amazon yeah. list. So, yeah. You got like five. <laughs> well, no,
0: you read like three or four of them, so you're <laughs> good. But, but anybody who's listening might have five new books to read now.
1: Yeah. And, and for people listening, we'll obviously put the show notes, uh, we'll put links to these books in the show notes so everybody can find them and, uh, and, and select them if they're interested in reading these in the future. Uh, Ryan, where can people learn more about you and what you're, what you're accomplishing for men out there?
0: Yeah, the best place is our headquarters, which is orderofman.com. We've got the podcast, the blog, all the things that we're doing over there. We've got a mastermind group that we run. It's a pretty cool brotherhood of, of guys really doing some work to to become better in each of these areas that we've talked about. Uh, and, and and that's, like I said, that's our headquarters. We've got a pretty thriving Facebook group. I don't know if you're part of that group, but I think we just cracked 30,000, 30,500 men or some, something like that in wow. that group right now, having some amazing conversations about our job and our role as, as men in this life.
1: That's fantastic. And, again, show notes. We'll put your links to all your, your website, orderofman.com and everything there. Your show, uh, you got the Friday field notes. Those I really enjoy. I appreciate um, that. Uh, and, and then your interview podcasts are always great, um, super motivating stuff, always stuff that makes you uh, leaves you something to think about after the show. Um, and, like I say, one of my favorites. So, Ryan, thanks for being with us today. Orderofman.com. Uh, and uh, people can go there to learn more about you and, of course, the squadroom.net for our show notes for today's episode. And, uh, Ryan, where can they find you on the social media? Uh,
0: on, if you're talking about the Facebook group, it's facebook.com slash groups slash order of man. And I'm really active in that group. Other than that, you can go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you want to go. And it's all at order of man. You can find us there.
1: Excellent. Ryan, thanks for talking to us today, man. Appreciate it. Garrett.
0: Appreciate it, brother. Appreciate your work. And thanks for your service to, to, uh, to us as, as, uh, you do what you do every day. And I appreciate everybody who's listening. who does the same thing.
1: Well, Ryan, thank you very much for that. And, um, I'll quote one of my former guests, what I've taken on when people thank me for their, for the service and all that. Um, uh, Clint Bruce was a guest on the show. I don't know if you know, Clint, he was a former SEAL, and he's a true leader and become a mentor of mine. And um, when people say that, uh, say thank you for the service, I always respond with, you were worth it. I so, uh, appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Squadron. If you like what you heard today and if you got something out of this conversation with Ryan, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. I read each of them, and it really helps spread the word of the show. Uh, of course, also let Ryan know that you heard about him on the show. If you haven't heard about him before, give him a shout at Order of Man and um, let him know that you heard him here. If you heard something on today's show that you know a friend or a loved one needs to hear, please tell them about the show. You can go to the squadroom.net and email this episode directly to them. You can grab their phone out of their hand and subscribe to the show right from their podcast app on their phone. Now, to keep up to date with The Squad Room, you can text The Squadroom, all one word, to 44222 to get signed up for our mailing list directly from your phone. Again, that's the Squadroom, all one word, 44222. Text that number and you'll get signed up for our mailing list. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at TheSquadroom, and on Facebook. Our job is tough, tougher than anything. We can put into a few words an hour or an hour-long conversation here, but if you want to reach out, start a conversation, ask a question, share an opinion, reach me at Garrett, two R's, two T's, Garrett, at the Lastly, I want to tell you that this episode is brought to you by Audible.com with over 180,000 titles in their inventory. Audible has hundreds of audiobooks that apply to us. If it's a slow shift or a long commute, audiobooks are a great way to continue your education. And today we got uh, five, six books from from Ryan that are recommended that you can uh, get on Audible.com. Again, audibletrial.com forward slash the squad room to get your free 30-day trial. Uh, And you can get a free book of your choice, free 30-day trial, and you help support the show. Now, until next time, take care of each other and stay safe.